0: Hey, church, can we just give the Lord a hand? I mean, isn't he worthy? Amen. So last weekend, my oldest son and I were hanging out of the house. We were actually mowing the yard and doing some uh, things around the place. And I got a text message from a friend and they said, hey, we're going to be flying over your house in 10 minutes. Uh, be you looking out, you know, because we're going to we're going to be you know, checking the place out. And so they came flying overhead. And it was super cool, just us two sitting out there on the back of my truck, just watching this plane fly by. And they just circled over our house several times. We're waving up in the sky like we're going, I bet they can't see us. We look like ants on the ground. Uh, but it was cool nonetheless. And it reminded me of a story that I want to share with you this morning uh, about a guy who would oftentimes fly over the Appalachian Mountains. And as he did so, he would always kind of uh, be intrigued by the river... Uh, you know, bed below. And and one of the co-pilots that was with him on a particular trip as they went over the Appalachians, uh, said, Hey, you know what? I've noticed that every time we fly over the Appalachians, you always look down below. What is that about? And he goes, Well, it's crazy you ask that. He goes, When I fly over the Appalachians, I look at that riverbed, it reminds me of times in that very same spot that as a kid I would fish almost every time I had the opportunity. And he goes, And now I fly over. Uh, And he goes, and it reminds me that as a kid, as I was fishing, I would always look up and I would go, I want to see those planes above. And one of these days, I want to be a pilot on those planes. And he goes, and that happened. He goes, but now I fly over the Appalachians. I look at the riverbed and I go, man, I wish I could be a kid again and just fish all the days of my life. And that's really what hindsight 2020 is, right? Like oftentimes we look at certain moments in our life and we look back and we go, man, I wish that I could do that differently or I wish I could have that time and season again. And I think oftentimes uh, in our looking back, in our hindsight, uh, we forget that really what God wants to do is use our past to help us develop foresight that we would be looking ahead to new things and new things that God has for us. And so today we're going to continue in our series called Hindsight is 2020. We're actually looking at the words of a guy named Ager in Proverbs chapter 30, a guy that if you have been in church all your life, you've probably never heard his name. Uh, There's not stories about Ager because we know very little about him. What we do know is that he wrote some incredible words in Proverbs 30 that lend our ear and our eyes to his instruction. And last week we uh, just talked about what it looks like to build our lives on a firm foundation. Well, this week, Ager, in uh, verses 7 through 9, actually expounds upon the words that he had first shared to his readers, and he now offers up a prayer. And this prayer begins in verses 7 and goes through verses 9. And so I'm going to read it to you in Proverbs 30, verses 7 through 9. If you don't have a Bible with us or with you, that you can just uh, read along on the screen. And Ager says, Lord, there are two things that I ask of you. Deny them not to me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and still and profane the name of my God. So if you look at Proverbs 30, just verse 7, what he is saying, he goes, Lord, there are two things that I need. And he goes, and all I'm asking is that before I die, you don't deprive me of these two things. And really what he's asking, Lord, is would you help me to be pure and would you help me to be content? And really that's the message title. In the middle of this series, Hindsight is 2020, if we have foresight, well, our prayer should be, Lord, would you make me pure and would you make me content? Isn't that really what we should desire? The prayer of the pure is is saying, Lord, help me to stand on you and your rock and your firm foundation. The pure of the content is to help us know that what we have in you is purely enough. In verse uh, 8, he goes on and he says, remove far from me falsehood and lying. And so what he's saying is, he goes, Lord, if you don't deprive me of these two things, he goes, the first one is, would you please not deprive me of knowing who you are? So would you remove falsehood and lying is what he's saying. So when you think about remove falsehood and lying, as Eger just says these words, Lord, removed from me lies, deceit, Deception, darkness, despair—would you remove all those things from me? Really, you got to ask yourself: Is what is he asking for? And really, if we know that darkness, despair, lies, and deceit come from the enemy, the adversary, Diablos, Satan, the accuser, we can be reminded of John eight forty four that says that Satan is the father of lies. Now, think about this: If Agur, a man of God, is saying, "Lord, would you protect me from lies and deception and deceitfulness and darkness?" What is he asking for? Would you? Lord, protect me from the evil one. Lord, would you guard my heart and my mind in Christ Jesus? Lord, would you protect me with the helmet of salvation and and the breastplate of righteousness? Lord, would you guard me, protect me? Would you, in a sense, keep truth on my forefront? Matter of fact, what is the opposite of lying and deceitfulness and darkness? It is light and truth. Matter of fact, if you remember uh, the the words of Jesus, Jesus would say something like this, uh, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except by me. Okay, so when we think about that, the question is, is, why does Jesus say that about himself? Why does he say, I am the way? Why does he say, I am the truth? And why does he say, I am the life? Because he's saying, I am all the things that you need. I am truth. Okay, so think about this. If, if uh, last week we are reminded of what a firm foundation is and that it's built on wisdom, if we know Proverbs 8 tells us that wisdom is of old and that wisdom is what we need and that God is wisdom, then what is wisdom? God. The question that you have to ask yourself is, if Agur is saying, protect me from lies and deceitfulness and falsehood, give me truth, what is truth? Jesus says, I am truth. It reminds me of the words of Psalm 25, verse 4. It says this Lord, would you make me to know your ways? O oh, Lord, teach me your paths. That's what he's to ask. He goes, Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. So look at these words. He goes, Lord, would you help me? And he asked for a couple of things help me to know your ways, which is truth. Lord, as I possess your truth and know your ways, would you guide me on? Straight paths, would you help me to know that you're the God of salvation? And would you light my path? Reminds me of the words that I shared with you last week in Psalm 119. What is it that helps a man keep his way pure? He goes, by obeying your word. What is his word? Wisdom and truth. Now, let me put this for you on the screen again. So I just mentioned it, John 14, six. Let's look at the words. It says, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father except by me. So if the enemy is lies, deceitfulness, despair, and darkness, and Jesus is saying, I am truth, and you find your life on the right path by believing in me. I am the way. Remember the psalmist in, in chapter 25. He goes, Lord, help me to know your way. Jesus goes, I am the way. You want your path to be straight? Trust me, I'll make your path straight. God God says, there are no curves in in following me. He goes, I light your path. I give your way a straight path. And then he says, okay, Lord, help me. Teach me your way. And the Lord goes, I'll teach your way. I am the truth. And then he goes, and God, remind me of your salvation. And then he goes, I'll remind you of salvation. I am salvation. I am life. Jesus goes, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Friends, Jesus would say it about himself in John chapter 1, that he is the light of all men. You want your path to be straight? He goes, protect yourself from falsehood and deceit. That's the prayer of Agar. Agar goes, hey, would you just be careful to not be enticed by darkness, by lies, despair, deceit, trust in what is true. That's why Jesus says these words in John chapter eight, verses 31 and 32, something he says that oftentimes can be misquoted. He says, so Jesus says to the Jews as he's talking to the Jews around him, he goes, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. What's interesting is that John um, makes a habit of encouraging people to abide in Christ. He doesn't do that just in the gospel of John. He does it in 1st and 2nd and 3rd John as well. He reminds people to abide in him. Why? Because in verse 32, Jesus says, the implication of knowing me, the way, the truth, and the life is making your path straight. When your path is straight, it's lit. Guess what? He goes, you'll know the truth. What is truth? Jesus. So I'm going to ask that again. Friends, what is truth? Jesus. Jesus. He goes, if you know me, you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Something that's in courtrooms all across America, um, some uh, have probably been taken down over the years. Um, Something that oftentimes will say, hey, listen, you need to tell me the truth because the truth will set you free. Uh, That's not what he's saying. That's not what Jesus means at all. He's not saying, hey, um, tell me the truth, quit manipulating, quit lying, quit doing things in the dark, tell me the truth, and you'll be free. Free from what? Free from me beating your rear end, right? No, that's not what he's talking about. That's not what he's saying there. What is he saying? He's going, hey, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. He goes, knowing and abiding in the Lord sets you free. Free from what? Despair and darkness and deceit. You see the words of Agar? Before the Messiah ever came to be, Agar's going, Lord, deprive me not of truth. Protect me from falsehood and lying and manipulation, and despair, and darkness, and all the things that the enemy wants to use in my life against others and against me. God, would you help me to know that you are the way, the truth, and the life. That I find hope, I find freedom in you. Freedom from what? Freedom from lies. Deceit freedom from darkness, manipulation, not only from the enemy against you, but you as you live a life of purity for the Lord. He goes, help make my path straight. That's why Jesus says these words in John chapter 17. As he's talking about his disciples, he goes, I want my disciples to be free. I want them to know the truth, Jesus, who brings about freedom. Freedom from darkness and despair. We are now a royal priesthood. We are a holy people, as Peter calls us. We've been called out of darkness into the marvelous light of Christ. So we are a possession, a royal people with a job to do. And Jesus says it this way, he goes, I have given them your word. Speaking of his disciples, there were twelve apostles. Uh eventually were eleven because of one that betrayed Jesus. But he is speaking candidly Jesus about his disciples. I have given them your word. What is God's word? It is truth. You, you can't have God and not have wisdom. You can't have Jesus and not have his truth. You can't have his word and not it be true. Understand his word is true. That's why he's encouraged us to abide in his word. Why do we abide in his word? Because it's truth. Who is truth? Jesus is truth. So he goes, I've given them your word. I've given them truth. And the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Friends, one of the great divides that we have right now in our country is over truth. The things that we're facing I oftentimes have to be reminded of are really a a settling over darkness and light. The path that's straight and the path that is crooked. The one that's wide and the one that's narrow. The reminder comes from God's Word to obey His truth. Why? Because if you obey His truth, you're going to live in the world, but you're not to be of the world. Which means that as you live in the world but you have truth, it means that others aren't going to see the truth that you possess because the Holy Spirit doesn't abide in them, and because they don't see clearly by the gift of the Holy Spirit in their lives, then they think you're an utter fool, and you're an enemy. And Jesus goes, just be prepared for that. Why? Because you possess truth. Listen, when you possess truth, the desire of God is not to lord your truth over people who are in darkness. It's not to condemn them and their falsity. What it is is to help them see where truth comes from. And I think one of the challenges we have in our country right now is that as believers, even though we have the truth, our life rarely reflects the straight path that leads to light, hope, and salvation. Oftentimes, we don't walk out the truth and freedom that God's called us to, which makes it very confusing for those who don't agree with us. I'm just kind of wrapping that up for you, so I'll leave it there to think about. I pray that you would think through that. Why? Because Jesus is encouraging his disciples. He goes, I want them to be in the world. I don't want to take them out of the world. And then he says this in verse 15, I do not ask that you take them out of the world. See that? He goes, so I I want to prepare them, but I do ask that if they're in the world that you would keep them from the evil one. So Agur says, Lord, would you remove deception and lies? Jesus is saying the same thing of his disciples. Lord, would you, would you give them truth as I've given them truth? Your truth abides in them. They're in the world. May they not be of the world. May you not remove them from the world because that would be too easy. And so in the midst of all of it, would you just protect them? And protect them from what? Darkness, lies, deceit, manipulation, and despair. You understand that? From the fiery arrows of the evil one. So what do we need to do? Guard our heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Reminds me of Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Go and read it because I think that helps. Verse 16, Jesus continues. He goes, they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world, speaking of his disciples. But he then says, but sanctify them in the truth. And then he says these words, your word is truth. So what is truth? Jesus is the truth. What is his word? The truth. Jesus and the word are all one. In essence, form, function, all of it is truth. And then he says this, as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And then look at verse 19. And for their sake, I consecrate myself. I set myself apart. And I pray that they also would be sanctified or set apart. And then the question is, is how is a believer set apart? He says, set apart in, what did he say? Truth you understand what he's saying, friends? He goes, would you make it your life's message, your purpose, your hope, that you would build your life on truth? Who is truth? Jesus. Jesus will say it this way in, John, or, uh, in Matthew chapter seven. There are two houses. You can build one house on the shifting sand or you can build another house on the solid rock. Shifting sand is lies, deceptive and deceitful. It looks like it's strong, but it will give way. But the truth is a firm foundation. You won't see until how firm it is until the storm comes. If you didn't get that message, go check it out. It's from last week. I think it's really helpful to build upon that message as we think about this one. And so he's going, hey, build your house on the firm foundation. So if you want, if you want to build your life on something, he goes, build it on truth. Build it on wisdom. What is from old? What is the ancient of days? He goes, it's Jesus. The one who's always been, who always will be. He's the Alpha and the Omega. But by God's grace, he came as the form of the incarnate Son, took on flesh so that we could understand God in a way that makes God real and reliable and tangible. He became light. He became hope. He became our source of strength. That's why Paul says these words in Galatians chapter 5. He's talking about not living in the flesh, which is our sinful nature. That is what gratifies us when we live in lies, deception, and darkness. And he goes, I want you to live in uh, the Spirit, which is light, freedom, and truth. Understand, that's what Jesus is saying. Uh, I, I'm going to give them the truth, and the truth will set them free. How are we set free from, the tr- from, from bondage? The Holy Spirit living in us. He gives us truth. So in Galatians chapter five, in the midst of all that flesh and, and, and also the living of the Spirit, um, this is what Paul says uh, to the church of Galatia. Look, look what he says in verse seven. He says, guys, you were running so well. He goes, you, you once were bound to the Old Testament law, and he goes, you thought that salvation and truth came from you keeping all the commands. But he goes, God freed you from that. He gave you Jesus. You thought that, that really hope came uh, in a variety of ways. It was by what you ate and what you wore and how you washed your hands and all those different things. It was, it was legalism and all of that. He goes, what that did was yoke you to something that brought death and destruction. But God then freed you and he freed you by the grace of his son in which he lavished and poured himself out on us as a fragrant drink offering before the Lord and he gave himself up that you might have new life. And when he did so, he goes, you knew that. You trusted in Christ and you were running so well. And then he asked this question, but what hindered you from the truth? So what hindered you from the truth? What, What brought about the lies and the deception and the deceitfulness? In essence, he's going, You seem to be following Jesus, but then I look up and you're not following him anymore. Friends, what is it that keeps us from following Jesus, the truth? Lies, darkness, and despair. Understand, it's the sinking and shifting sand, which means that we have to continually abide in God and his word. Had a friend recently asked me, Hey, Brandon, you say abide all the time. Help me understand what that means. Can I just unpack abiding real quick for you? Because Jesus says it in John chapter 15, verse 5 I am the vine, you are the branch of a man. If a man remains in me and I in him, he'll bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. That word remains in me and I in him, that word remain is the similar word to abide. Abide means to remain, that means to continue to live your life in the light on the solid foundation of truth, making sure that you're not easily tossed to and fro. And I believe wholeheartedly that Jesus is from the Father in form and essence and function, all things. He is the Word. He is truth from beginning to end, always has been. He is the Word and the Word became manifest to us. So in essence, Jesus is the Word and He's given us the Word that brings about the way, the truth, and the life. Which means if we're believers and we're abiding in the word, the truth, and the life, we're going to be with God, not only in in spirit and and in our soul, Him abiding in us through the Holy Spirit, but in essence also we're going to study His word, and then we're not going to merely read it, but we're going to do what it says. And we're going to live out truth, which means we're going to fight against lies, deception, Manipulation and any form of falsehood that would keep us from doing what God wanted us to do in the light. Church, can I just tell you that I believe there was a time where I really thought Stone Point was running really well. But oftentimes I look up now and I go, What's hindered us from the truth? You were running right, you were straight. I mean, you, you, you seemed to be shot out like, a, like an arrow, you were hitting your target. But what happened? What happened? And I think with that in mind, I think there's a couple of things I just want to just real pause, just real quickly pause. I want to seek your forgiveness for a couple of things. Um, and, and then I, I want to also encourage you to be thinking about a couple of things. I, I think number one, if hindsight were 2020, I would have started this, different, this on a different foundation than I did, if I'm just honest. I had 13 friends that go, hey man, we're with you. And if I'm honest, I didn't lay out the foundation as well as I should have. I should have discipled them way more than I did. I should have poured into them and invested in them ways that I never did. Um, And and honestly, it's one of the greatest regrets I have in my life. In some ways, God has used this thing. And even though in some ways it was built on some of a shifty sand, um, God has, has used it by his power and his grace in spite of a foolish man like me. I'm thankful for that. Will you forgive me? Um, if hindsight were 20 to 20, um, we would have probably been more influential from the very beginning in, in what really mattered. I think we've always been a gift to our community. I think we've always sought to be light and darkness. I, I believe that to be true. I don't believe we've wavered from that. But what I do think we've wavered from is our commitment. The commitment to the things that we agreed on. And where I have to seek your forgiveness is I haven't had the backbone to hold you accountable for it. I'm just honest. I haven't had the backbone to hold you accountable. As a member of his body, you know what we agreed to? We agreed that we were going to walk in truth. That we were going to leave the old ways behind, no longer walking in darkness, but we were going to walk in truth. That means living in the light. We believe that living in the light means that we live in community with other people who we identify with and we confess sin. We acknowledge the error of our ways and we continually press into one another because that's what God's word encouraged us to do. Jesus even said to himself, I, I'm, not, I'm not taking you out of the world. So what does it mean? He goes, I'm gonna leave you in the world. So the question then becomes is with who and with what? And I would think that the apostles yoked themselves together, right? I think that's what Paul means. And in, 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 as he talks about the church in Corinth, he goes, hey, make sure you don't yoke yourselves to Belial and darkness. Make sure you yoke yourselves to what you know is truth, which is what I think of when I think about church membership. Church membership is an agreement for us to yoke ourselves to what is, is true. And then what we're basically saying is because I know that I'm prone to not run in a, in a way that is, is straight and sure and, and in light, I need some other men and, and women around me and my wife and my family who will help me to not easily be hindered from running my race well. And I'll just tell you that one of the things I think that our our church should be built on is community, and I'll tell you, I think that's one of the things that we've not done well traditionally. Here's what community is not. Community is not a group of people who say, I'll meet together, but never meet. Community is not people who say, well, hey, we'll meet together and we'll do it as faithfully as possible, but never do the business of the work of ministry. Community is not a Bible study. Community is a place where we can be authentic and we can bring things that were once lies and deceit and manipulation and falsehood and go, hey, guys, can I just confess the the error in my life? And can, can, will you forgive me? You know how many times I've sought forgiveness just this last week? I would say a dozen times just this last week in hard conversations, in ways that I feel like I've missed it, maybe as a leader, maybe as a husband, Maybe to my journey group or or to another group of men. I mean, I have just had to seek forgiveness in a lot of ways. I'm seeking it from you. And church, I pray that you would grant it to me. Not because you didn't keep your word, but because I didn't hold you accountable to not keeping your word. Listen, if I'm honest, at the end of this year, our membership is going to look differently than it ever has before. And, And the reason why is because we need to know what membership is and what community is and what serving is and what it looks like to be the body of Christ. And here's why. Listen, we see some things happening in our government and some things that are going to affect the church potentially even globally. And I want to know who I'm going underground with. Let me say it one more time. I want to know who I'm going underground with. I want to know who I'm yoked to. I want to know who I'm in it with and who's in it with me. I want to know, if I'm honest to you, as I read through a couple of patches, uh, passages, whether it be 1 Peter 5 or Hebrews 13, I want to know who the sheep are in my flock. I'm not talking about people who are in the pastor, but I'm talking about the ones who give me permission to shepherd them. I want to know who's in membership with me, who's walking the path of righteousness. That's what I want to know. Listen, Stone Point has never existed to be a place in which you come and you're a part of some of the most phenomenal worship music I've experienced in the last decade. That's not why we exist. It's not so that you can come and you can go, wow, dude, he was bringing it today. It has nothing to do with me. What I can see in terms of membership is, is that we yoke ourselves together in truth. That we're discipled and that we're followers of Jesus. That we would live in community, that we'd bring things to light, and that we'd be admonished faithfully. Not admonished uh, the the one time that uh, we're drunk and fall out of our car and everybody goes, hey, it's okay, don't do it again. No, I'm talking about admonished faithfully. That we would treat little sins in our life as if they were big sins. That we would kill our fleshly, carnal desires. That we would disciple one another. And so with that in mind, I don't believe that I've discipled people well, but I'm, I have committed to helping disciple people well. Matter of fact, one of the things that I did this last week in, in front of a group of men that I have uh, been a part of their lives for some four, five, six, seven, eight years, I sought their forgiveness this week. In my living room, I cried tears and I sought their forgiveness. Forgiveness for not helping them build a foundation as I sent them out into the world. But I said, I'm committed to helping you build a foundation and one that will impact our church for the next decade. And so what I did is I just said, look, I'm going to give every night of my life to you men if you'll give your life to other men. And we're going to do that through our regeneration recovery ministry. Uh, Real quickly, just so you understand, that means tomorrow night I'm signing up and I'm going through our recovery ministry. Me, your lead pastor is going through recovery ministry. I'm going to take things that are out of in the dark and I'm going to bring them into the light. Okay, don't be confused. I'm going to go through it as a leader to help sharpen and shape that ministry. But I'm committing myself to allow the Lord to do the work of ministry in my life. As my friend Todd Wagner would say, I'm going to do the hard work of heart work. I'm going to ask the Lord to do something in me. If you're a man in this room, you go, well, he's about to ask me to join. Yes, you're right. I'm going to ask you to join me. <laughs> and I get it. Here's what you're going to say. Listen, you're going to go, you know what? I would love to, but man, I just margin's not in my schedule. I get that. And if that's you, hey, we're praying for you. But can I just go ahead and confess something else to you? Margin's not in my schedule. I have no margin to do this on Monday nights, but I do believe it's a necessity to help build a firm foundation in my life and the men that I love. The next thing is you're going to go, hey, so what is this big sin that he's hiding, or, or hey, isn't this for isn't this recovery thing, in that for alcoholics or, or porn addicts, or isn't it from people that are on drugs? And here's what I would tell you: Yes, absolutely, but it's also for people like me who are prideful and arrogant and self-sufficient, who think that I'm a really good leader when I look at the mirror who oftentimes have, have arrogant responses and have, can be hard-hearted and, and condescending in lots of ways. I'm the guy that also needs to do the hard work. And I don't think I'm alone in here. And so what we're encouraging you to do is tomorrow night at Regeneration, 7 p.m. Come, I can't wait to see you. If you're living in community, hey, continue to live in community and press into that. If you're not living in community, there's no reason that you shouldn't live in community. Come live in community. Let's take a year together and let's all get healthy. And for me, if I'm honest, I want to build a firm foundation of what it looks like. You've been through the recovery program. I have done that. I no sweat. I've done it. Listen, come do it again because we didn't do it well. Let me say it one more time. Come do it again because we didn't do it well. And I'll seek your forgiveness for that too. Because that's not on our directional leaders. That's on me. I could have done better. I should have done better. And so forgive me. Now that, that's just what it looks like to live in truth. I hope you understand. If you're living in community and you've never done that or no one's ever done that in a small group of room, then you're not living in community. Your Bible study is just a Bible study and you're not living in authentic community. Friends, we need to model what it looks like to live in truth. Agur says, keep deception, deceit from me. Right? Amen. For the sake of your time, I hope that you'll continue to let me go on because he, he, that's, that's just falsehood and deceit. He, he has another part of his prayer. Look what he says. He goes, and Lord, give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food that is needful for me. And listen, if you're, if you're settled in you're like, man, I'm already feeling convicted. Let, can Just go and buckle in because this is going to be rough. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food that is needful for me. And then he goes on, he goes, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of God. What he's saying is he goes, Lord, help me to be content. And he goes, help me to to realize that I have enough when you provide just the daily bread. And I believe that Agar is in some ways even referring to the times in which... God provided for Israel in the desert just with the manna from heaven that every single day there was a daily provision. They were to go get what they needed for the day and bring it in and there was nothing more for them. To take in more was to be selfish and it was to be prideful and it was to be greedy. And and he goes, you need to protect yourself from that. And so what Agar is saying, he goes, Lord, don't only deny me truth, like give me truth, but Lord, help me to be content. That means, Lord, don't give me so little that I find myself having to go out and be, be greedy and be selfish and to be manipulative in getting something. I've heard of mamas and daddies in India, listen, listen, chop off their hand of the kid that they just had to make them a beggar on the streets because they had nothing. And people feel sorry for a kid with no hand, don't they? And so they can make them a beggar. He goes, don't make me a beggar. I don't want to have to manipulate others to get food. At the same time, Lord, don't make me rich because then I'll become boastful, proud, and self-reliant. And I don't want that either. So he goes, would you just help me to be content? And friends, I don't know about you, but I believe we live in a country that struggles with contentment. I believe that's what in 2008 revealed the home crisis that we had, which imploded our economy. I believe that that's what COVID-19 highlighted. A bunch of people that in the last 10 to 12 years have not learned any lessons from 2008. And we continue to build build and build and build and build and build and build. We want more after more after more after more. We say we're clothed in Christ, but we continually clothe ourselves in more and more and more and more. That's why the words of Hebrews are so important. Hebrews 13, verses five and six, he says, keep your life free from the love of money. And then what's interesting is, look what he says after that, and be content with what you have. Okay, that makes sense. Be free from the love of money, and that means contentment, right? But then look what he says. This is what contentment is. He goes, for he has said, I will never leave nor forsake you. The question is, do you believe those words? He'll never leave nor forsake you. Listen, we quote them all the time, we say them all the time, we encourage our kids all the time. And then he says this in verse 6, so that we can confidently say, The Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can man do to me? But the question is, is do you really believe that? We quote this passage all the time: an Old Testament passage that the writer of Hebrews used. And what's interesting is he uses those together. He goes, Be free from the love of money, be content. For the Lord will never leave you nor forsake you. So the question is, what is he saying there? Is he saying, hey, don't keep your eyes on money? I don't think that's what he's saying. What I do think he's saying is, is you, can't, you can't love both God and money. Isn't that what Jesus says? You can't have two masters. That's what he's saying. You can't have two masters. He goes, you have to, to have one master. And if you believe the words that God will never leave you nor forsake you, then why is it that you leave your God and forsake him for chasing after more and more and more and more? Do you see the premise here? He's going, listen, you can't be confused that your love for money and love for tangible stuff is not in evidence and conclusive that your heart is not where it should be. He goes, those things are tied together. What's interesting is how Agar presents this. It's an incredible thing. Do you believe that the Lord is with you? And if so, then you need to realize where contentment begins. Contentment begins... Not by thinking less about yourself, but more about Christ. That's where contentment begins. It's beginning to believe that the Lord will never leave nor forsake us. It's beginning to believe that, Lord, if I become absolute destitute and poor, that I still have the Lord. That, Lord, that even if I'm blessed with with wealthy possessions, that it doesn't find my heart chasing. And I want you to realize that, that that's really the promise, that if we are satisfied in Christ and we're fully satisfied in Him, then we should never utter the words, if I had just one more thing. Which is honestly something else I can confess to you. I am not content. I've got a myriad of things that if I just got these things off the bucket list or off of my to-do list, or if I could just get this installed, then I would be ready. I'd be good. And Lord, if I just had, like, if I just had maybe $20,000 in my savings account, I'd be like, Content. As long as these other things are financed every month. That would be nice. I want to make sure my health is, insurance is covered. I, I mean, I want to make sure my medical and life insurance is covered. I really want to make sure that the, the college funds that I have, the 529 set up for kids, I want to make sure there's enough there. As long as all that's there, then I'm good. Like, like That sounds like greed, doesn't it? Just from the outside looking in. That's why I need Regen. See, here's the deal. If we truly are content with the words that Jesus says, that he'll never leave us nor forsake us, then I think this is our prayer. Lord, give me a full heart, even if I have an empty stomach. God, give me a full heart, even if it means I have an empty stomach. Isn't that what what John's talking about, where we're not caught up in the love of of the world in, in 1 John? And in 15 through 17, he goes, may I not be confused by the lust of my eyes? May I not be looking for one more tangible thing? I think that's what Paul means in Philippians 4, 10 through 13, where he goes, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. He's talking to the church of Philippi. He goes, you were indeed concerned for me when I was impoverished and when I had need. But he goes, you didn't have an opportunity to give. Look at verse 11. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. And then he unpacks that. He goes, I know what it's like to be brought low, I also know what it's like to abound, but in every circumstance I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need is that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. In essence, it's a parallel passage to Hebrews chapter 13, verse five, that God, it doesn't matter what I face, if I am impoverished or I am rich, whether I'm brought low or I abound, Lord, you'll never leave nor forsake me. And that means you'll allow me the privilege of knowing I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Two similar passages. He's not talking about running hurdles here. He's not talking about taking a test. What he's saying is, is he goes, he has placed his truth in our lives. He's given us the strength to abound. Even if we are brought to nothing in our humility, we can still declare and lift our hands and say, but I know my hope is in heaven and he'll never leave me nor forsake me. What kept you from running your race so well? What hindered you from the truth? Well, here's what I would tell you. It's not trusting in the words of the New Testament. Matter of fact, Paul writes this in this way to Timothy. He goes, if we have food and clothing... With these will be content, but whoever desires to be rich will fall into a temptation. He goes, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. And he goes, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. What is he saying? He goes, if we're not content, even if we say the words, I know God will never leave nor forsake us, but we continue to find ourselves chasing after something. Then he goes, we're clearly showing that we're not content for the love of money is what is the root of all kinds of evil and what he's saying is it's not just money in itself really he goes anything you chase that is not god will leave you pained by all forms of evil chase chase more of a job more of a title um, more accolades, more success, more money, whatever. He goes, all of it will leave you empty. Why? Because the only thing we should chase after is what's tangible. Matter of fact, let me say it this way, or uh, that, that is not tangible. So I would say it this way. Jesus um, encourages us through the apostle Paul to walk by faith, not by sight. What he's saying is, is chase what, you, what is in some ways intangible. Chase what you can't see. The problem is, is that we chase what we can see. So if contentment is chasing hard after the things we can't see, namely God and truth, what is a lack of contentment? Chasing after things that we can see. So here's what I want you to hear and lean in with me because it may be the most wise words I say all day. Contentment is very elusive because sin is very Pervasive. Contentment eludes our hands. It it, it falls out of the grasp of our fingertips. And the reason why is because sin easily pervades our life. We can't see a lack of contentment because all we see is our flesh. And so what is contentment? What is it? If we know what truth is, what is contentment? Contentment is not receiving what you want, but it's being thankful for what you already have. It's being thankful for what you already have. Jesus says these words in John chapter 6, verse 35. He says, I am the bread of life. Who comes to me shall not hunger, but whoever believes in me shall never thirst. What he's saying is, I'm the bread of life. If You want satisfaction? He says, come and dine with me. That's why Jesus says, apart from you, you can do nothing. He goes, if you want, you can toil and labor and strive after the wind. I think that's what Solomon says. You can chase after those things. And he goes, they will not bring peace or satisfaction or joy. Matter of fact, they'll chain you to the very things I freed you from. For I am the truth and I will set you free. Does that mean that you should be poor and destitute and have nothing? No. Does that mean that you shouldn't make purchases or or seek to save and build wealth? No. Friends, it's a condition of our heart. And there's a lot of us that we're not content with what the Lord has for us. And listen, you're the one who has to unpack that. You're the one who is to ask the Lord, Lord, would you remove lies and deceit and falsehood even as I think about contentment? Because Lord, I know what I tell people with my mouth, but I also know what happens in my heart. And so I pray that if you're struggling with contentment, that you would do this one thing before making any major decisions. Here it is, you ready? Make a list of everything you have, that you don't deserve. Make a list of everything you have that you don't deserve. That's the first list. And then take another list and make a list of everything that you believe you deserve that you don't currently have. Compare the two and then be wise. Don't be like my friend, the farmer, um, who um, looked at his place and he was frustrated because he had tons and tons and tons of acreage. With acreage comes maintenance And so the farmer uh, continued to, to look out on his field to be frustrated because cows were always getting out and there needed to be more fence fixed. He looked at his big old pond and he continually had to get more fish out of it because they weren't growing because there were too many in it. Um, he continually be frustrated with his cows because there was more hay to buy and more to do. He was continually looking at his house and going, man, we built this place 25 years ago. and, And even though it overlooks those rolling hills, I'm tired of the maintenance and all those things. And he finally decided to pick up the phone. He called the realtor and he goes, I want to put this place on the market. I'm going to simplify. I want something different. Real estate agent come out and listed the house, put it out. This guy, meanwhile, went searching on his quest to find his new place. One day he was reading through the newspaper and he came across a place and, and it, was, it had a fair amount of acreage, um, had rolling hills, had a nice stock pond in the back, had adequate fences. Um, it was a little bit older house, but it seemed to be nestled just where you could see the hills. And he called the real estate agent. He goes, Hey, this house right here is really appealing to me. I want to look at it. Real estate agent goes, Hey, okay, let me look into it. He looks into it, calls him back about 30 minutes later, and he goes, Hey, man, we have a problem. He goes, well, What's the problem? He goes, well, the very house that you want to look at is the very house I listed for you. It's the one you're living in. <laughs> he goes, well, hey, did you do me a favor, and take that house off the market. <laughs> Being thankful means that we're appreciative for what we have, not what we want. Ager was a wise man. And if hindsight were 2020, we might do some things different in our life. We can't change what we did, but what we can change is the mistakes that we're willing to make. That's called foresight. And that's what we're after is foresight. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I thank you this morning. I pray that you use these words to encourage our hearts and remind us of the sincerity of faith in which you have birthed in us. I pray that you would help us to live in the light, keep us, protect us from falsehood, lies, and deceit and help us to live in the light. God, you are the way, the truth, and the life. You are the one who makes paths straight. How does a man keep his way pure? By obeying the words and the commands and the decrees of scripture. Lord, would you help me to be that man? And I pray that you would produce in here men and women who desire the same thing. May we yoke ourselves together in commitment, in agreement, that we are going to be the body of Christ, that we're going to love well, serve well, dedicate ourselves well to the things of the kingdom of God. And may we not easily be ensnared. Lord, help us to run our race well. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Amen.